0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. are
1: you grateful for restoration? I thought about it after the service today. <clears throat> I mentioned this to the pastor in the back room. All you car buffs know this. You can take a car that comes off the... See, I grew up in the 60s in and, the and, uh, muscle car era. And that's kind of having a, a, you know, a re- recurrence. They're building them again. But <clears throat> I was back in the, the cool, real muscle car era. And uh, the favorite car I ever had was a 1970 Plymouth Roadrunner. It had a it had a 383 <clears throat> engine with a pneumatic hood scoop called an air grabber hood scoop. You flip a switch and there's this little square in the middle of the hood that would pivot up like this. It had shark's teeth decal on the side of it. It added about 15 horsepower. had a Hurst pistol grip four-speed shifter. Oh, it was, man, it was bad. Bad to the bone. And I was bad when I was in it. Oh man, you just didn't get any cooler than that. And we were, we drag race on the streets and all that. And so, uh, anyway, I, I, I like those muscle cars. Well, over the years, I've looked at, you know, online trying to, trying to find one because I wanted to, wanted to get another one. I hadn't found the right one yet. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, you know this, those cars are old now. 1970, what would that be? 70, 30, 40, almost 50 years old, you know. In another four years, it'd be 50 years old. But what they do is they'll take them, there are certain companies that'll restore cars and they'll, they'll put them you know, back in condition that is not original condition. It's actually better than it was when it was brand new when it came off the showroom floor, when it came off the factory assembly line. It was new then, but a, 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 a certain high-end restoration, like for instance, one company is a rotisserie restoration. A rotisserie restoration, the engine is balanced and blueprinted. All the numbers match. Everything is perfect. It's better than it was when it was brand new. That's the way God restores. He doesn't doesn't just put it back like it was. He makes it better than it was when it was was brand new. Better than the first time. Glory to God. This time everything is perfect. Perfect glory to God. So you just get ready, because God is in the restoring business and He's in restoring mode right now. Glory to God! All He's looking for is the people who will receive. And I tell you, the Lord spoke something to me in the service this morning as Pastor was concluding it, because He got up and He put the validation on the word that I had shared, and I know it it, it was a comfort to everybody, because that's Pastor's job. He's the head of the local church and when he got up and validated all that you could just sense everybody yeah glory to God everybody took hold of it uh, with a firmer grip and um, um, you you know not every church qualifies for what I'm talking about but you do you do so get ready (laughs) get ready (laughs) praise the Lord and services like this and I, you know they may not be uncommon at all but they're going to become more common praise the lord because in these kind of meetings god moves in ways that you, you can't do with abc i mean in in services like that things don't always follow a direct line sometimes god takes quantum shifts and leaps and movements and so forth so be open and willing to move with the Spirit. You know, one of the things he said this morning was that joy would be restored. The joy of salvation. I'm not so sure that's not where it starts, Pastor, that people restore, that joy being restored is the gateway that opens everything else up. And and when that happens, he just takes care of things that you couldn't take care of if you tried. You remember me talking about my little dog Pinky this morning? Well, I brought her home, you know, and made her part of the family. And, uh, Every day we go out and walk, and we'll go to different places, different parks, and so forth. So I I took her, and my wife has a dog too. His name is Snowball. He's a little poodle uh, something mix, Westy, I think. And uh, they're just both sweet dogs, little dogs. So I take them out and walk. One day I took them out to this particular big area, and it had rained the night before, the night before that, and so it was a little muddy, and I was trying to keep them close to keep them from getting out in the mud. So uh, I, you know, kept them in, the, I mean, I, what, they weren't on the leash, but I kept them close by calling them when they get away. But anyway, I looked around at one point, and I couldn't see her. She was gone. She was out there in the woods somewhere. So I whistled for her and called her. And as she came out of the woods way across this field, this ball field, I saw her coming, and uh, I could tell she had it on her. Just Covered. And as she got closer, I was watching her, thinking, "Dog gone, you know, man. I don't want to let this dog in my truck all muddy and all that." And as she as she as she ran up, I I got to looking, and it just didn't look right. And I thought, "Oh no, say it ain't so." <laughs> and as she got closer, I went over to her, and I sm- and sure enough, she had gone out and rolled in poop. And I don't know what kind of animal it was, but from the amount of it, it was like an elephant. She was c- covered in 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 feces. Now, when I walk out in the woods, I always carry a gun with me. I always carry a pistol with me because you never know when you run into a coyote or something like that. And ever since coyotes killed my other dog, I've declared war on them. I mean it. I mean it. I used to be a live and let live guy with them, but not anymore. Now then, they go down if I get, a, if I get them in my sight. So uh, anyway, I always carry a gun. So when she came running up there and I saw her covered with feces, I pulled my gun out and I shot her. You believe that? Then why would you believe it about God? Why would anybody believe that God would do something like that? If you know that I, being natural, wouldn't do that to a little dog that I'd paid that dear a price for and sacrificed. Why would anybody think that God would do that to one of his kids? See, when you go out and roll in poop, God does for you, God does for you what I did for my dog. I picked her up gingerly. See, I still love her. I still want her. But the problem is we can't fellowship in this, in this, in this situation. She's still my dog and I'm still her owner. But fellowship has been broken. <laughs> I didn't send her into the wilderness and tell her to figure out how to get cleaned up and come see me when you got it done. I picked her up. I put her in the back of the of, of the SUV, you know, and made sure that she was contained as much as possible. I drove to a nearby friend of mine and said, can I use your basement bathroom? They let me. I got in there with shampoo and conditioner and all that stuff and... I gave that dog a good scrubbing just because I wanted fellowship restored. Now, she didn't even have to clean herself up. She didn't save herself. She didn't find herself a place to live. She didn't adopt me as it were. And and then when she gets out there and gets all messed up and muddy and covered and whatever, she didn't even have to clean herself up. I'd do it all. All I need is her to just come to me and I'll take care of it. Now God's cleaning some things up in this church. He's cleaning some things up in families. God's, cle- God's cleaning some things up. Praise the Lord. You've come to Him and He is cleaning it up. Praise the Lord. So, so don't, don't even fall for the lie that you still smell bad. No. When God washes you, you're washed. When God cleans you up, you're cleaned. Glory to God. Amen. Washed in the blood yeah. and then washed in the water of the word. Glory yeah. to God. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> now you've laughed at the devil before, but God's going to give you a great laugh because you're about to experience a great victory. I don't know what it is, but I saw it on you when you walked out the back door. There's something There's something like... I don't know how to describe it because, you know, you see things in the spirit and hard to put it into words, but it's like something hanging over your head just ready to break loose and like, a, like a, one of those coolers of Gatorade they're about to dump on you, you know. Glory to God.
0: <laughs>
1: my, my. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Boy, oh, and the Lord, good. and the Lord, good. And you know, it's like that for the whole church. There's like a. There's like a. Just, just imagine the. Uh. uh the. The. You know, what's the biggest lake around here? Who is it? Noonan's Lake, pretty big lake. Just imagine if they were able to put Noonan's Lake in a container over the heads of this congregation. Can you imagine the pressure that would be there pushing, trying to get through whatever was holding it back? That's the way that I see right now over this church, the blessings of God, the restoration. and It's, it's like it's under pressure trying to get through. It's not like, oh, we got to figure out how to pull it down. No, No, listen, it's under pressure. It's under pressure. What heaven is doing has got it under pressure pointed your way. (laughs) Glory to God. And I I know you can't see it. I know you can't see it with a natural eye, but I was in uh, Nova Scotia last year. I'd seen this on on television for many years, knew about it, but I never had visited there. But a couple of years ago, I went to Nova Scotia to the Bay of Fundy. Any of you ever been to the Bay of Fundy? The Bay of Fundy is the place, the geographic location on earth that experiences the greatest tidal shift. The, the difference in the water level, you know, tides come in and out here on the east and west coast of Florida all the time. So you know what it means to come up and, and go out. But in at the Bay of Fundy, because of the geography, the way it, it works, there's a river that flows into the ocean there, and it gets kind of narrow. And what'll happen is that river will be flowing into the ocean. But as the tide changes, as the tide comes in, then that that river begins to slow down, and then it begins to boil and bubble and all this commotion and then the river actually runs backwards as the tide comes in and the waters rise and i was standing there watching it because i i I wanted to see it i knew i knew what it was and you understand the tides are determined by the moon and the moon was nowhere in sight it's somewhere well it's 250,000 miles away for one thing but it's it's somewhere beyond and it's kind of a delayed reaction uh as far as it not being right overhead And I was standing there thinking about that. Isn't this amazing that something in heaven is exerting an unseen influence that causes the oceans and the rivers to reverse course? And the Lord said, that's exactly the way it works. He said, heaven is exerting an influence. Should it be a surprise because you see it before your eyes in the natural sense, but heaven is exerting an influence that's gonna cause some things to turn around and go back the other way in your life. Praise the Lord. Things have been flowing this way for long enough and now then heaven is exerting an influence and it's going to turn around and flow back the other way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Restoration. 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 Whoa, glory. 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 <laughs> my, 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 my. Glory. Glory, glory. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. are you the one building those houses huh who's building those houses you you're the one building those houses next door who is that where are you praise God I drove through there a while ago pastor told me about it I drove through there praise the Lord (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome. That's awesome. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I just want you to know. I just drove through there and looked at it. Spoke blessings over it. Amen. I want to know who I, who I was agreeing with. That's all. <laughs> my, my, my. My, my, my. Thank you, Father. 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 Thank you Lord. Well, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Stand up one more time. Let's, let's just magnify the Lord here for a minute. Father, we praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just submit ourselves. To be sensitive. Thank you, Father, for this restoration and this process that is taking place. And, and how, how we praise you and how we thank you. For what you're doing, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. You can be seated. I want to share something with you before we turn you loose tonight. Um, glory to God. Do y'all normally have a, a Sunday night service? you always do. Okay, good. Amen. Amen. Um, go with me to uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want, to, I want to share something with you in light of and uh, along with this word of restoration. Just as an encouragement and an exhortation, I, I think I know why this church is qualified for it. And I just want to put a put a cap on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you, you're all familiar with this. This is the, uh, the um, instructions for communion. And Paul is talking to the church here at Corinth and the whole church about how to receive the Lord's Supper. The juice representing the blood, the bread representing the body of Christ. And he says, uh, verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now notice that again, and I know you've been taught on this. I just want to bring out something that, that, that uh, uh, from a different angle here for a minute. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. This is the only cause given in the New Testament, as I, as I know your pastor shared with you, for weakness and sickness and premature death in the New Testament church. Now, it's not the only reason for it, but it's the only reason the New Testament really gives us. And what is that reason? Not discerning the Lord's body. Now, discerning the Lord's body has a a number of layers. It has a number of facets to it. One of them, of course, is you have to discern that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases, that his body was broken for your physical healing. If you don't believe in healing, and that is, if you don't believe in the redemptive side of healing, that Jesus bore it, then you'll never be able to exercise faith. Faith is always based on the grace of God. Faith follows grace. You find out what God did, there's where the faith comes from. Faith is based on what God has already done, what has already been bought and paid for. So you have to understand that. You have to discern. or sit. To discern means to see. That's all it means. Let's don't get goofy. It just means to see it, and and that's the reason that we teach because we're endeavoring to persuade people so that they see it. Somebody says, "Oh, I never saw that before." Yeah, well, now you do, and now because you say I see it, you're discerning the Lord's body. Then there's the other uh, another side of it that I'm sure you've been taught, and that is that to discern the Lord's body means that the body of Christ is one, and you have to discern, you know. He's the body of Christ, so how I treat him makes a difference. She's the body of Christ. How I treat her makes a difference. i got to walk in love for my faith to work. Faith works by love. But then there's another layer of this that the Lord showed me, and this is something that I haven't always seen that I just want to talk to you about tonight for a few minutes, and that is the corporate side or the corporate application of this Bible truth. Because when you read this, this passage of scripture and the way that I read it one time, I was just reading along there and I preached from this, I don't know, hundreds of times. Every time we do communion in my church over 30 years, I'd go from this, launch out from this, this uh, you know, passage about examining ourselves and eating and drinking properly. But then I read verse thirty one time and it said, I saw something I'd never seen before. It says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you And many sleep. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, You know, if you were to, if you were writing that in the light of your previous understanding and revelation, you would have said it like this. For this cause, many of you are weak and sickly and many sleep. And I think that's the way a lot of people read it. Let me say that again. Many of you are weak and sickly and many sleep. But if you read your Bible, that's not what it says. It says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And the Lord highlighted that phrase, among you, and he, and, 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 and he began to ask me some questions. Talk to me about these things. And I, I began to realize, you know, I've seen that phrase before. So if you go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, this is the first time that you find that phrase. And I've studied this out in other, even other translations. Or not other translations, but other languages. And even in other languages, Bibles written in other languages, it says the same thing. Now, it says here in verse 10 of chapter 1. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. See that phrase? Among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Then you go over to chapter 3. Paul said, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. Verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? And then he addresses the the, the manifestation of their carnality when he says, Some of you say I'm of Paul, some I'm of them I'm, I'm of Apollos. And then he makes the case that you're all well familiar with. He said, You know, uh, I've planted Apollos water, it's God that gives the increase. He makes the comparison between the garden. He said, One plants, another waters, but it's God that gives the increase. He says, You're God's garden, you're God's building. Then he goes on down in that same chapter and talks more about these things, about our works. He talks about the judgment of our works, you know, building on the foundation. And that's the point. There's only one foundation. And people build on it. Some gold, silver, precious stones, some wood, hay stubble. There will be a judgment. This is not the judgment of the sinner. This is the judgment of the believer. But it's the works that will be judged. We'll all get to heaven. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works will be judged. And whatever we've done, with what we've got to work with, and in obedience to God, the fire will test it, and wood, hay, stubble will be consumed, and there'll be no record of us doing anything. Gold, silver, precious stones will remain, and that's what our rewards will be based on. It's not like you're going to carry around the shame of it. It just—it's all going—it's it's, going to disappear if it's not done in faith and obedience and love. Wood, hay, and stubble—there'll be no trace of anything, no rewards for that. And then he goes on to say this. If any man's work, verse 14, which he has built upon, he, uh, abide, which he's built upon, he will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Then verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Then verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So he says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and any man that destroys the temple of God or defiles it, God will destroy. Now, I don't know about you, I was raised Presbyterian, and very little of that. I went when I was forced to, and as soon as I got old enough, I I quit. Uh, I, I I You know, I mean, I, I'm not down on them, but... I'm, I'm glad I went. I learned the hymns and I learned the doxology and the Apostles' Creed and, and all that. So I, I got some, some out of it, but most of it is pretty pretty dull and dry. So I went the way of the world and then I came back. But while I was in there <clears throat> for a season there, <clears throat> I went to the Baptist church. You know, I'd visit the Baptist church, go with my school friends, things like that. And I'd hear that verse of scripture, you're the temple of God, and if you defile or destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you. And that was always brought out in the context of like, if you smoke, you're defiling the temple of God and God's going to kid you for it. Any of y'all hear any teaching like that? It's what you do to your body. But really that's not what he's talking about. It really has nothing to do with that. Because as you probably are aware of, there's a scripture, this same scripture in the Amplified Translation says this. It says, What know ye not that you, the whole church at Corinth, are the temple of the Holy Ghost? that he dwells in you both corporately and individually. And so what the Lord is talking about here, what the Holy Ghost is talking about through Paul, is not the physical body, but he's talking about his body. And he says, what? Know ye not that you, the whole church at Corinth. Now it's very important to look at these things in the light of the whole church at Corinth. Because this will cause what we started with to make sense when he says, what? Know ye not I'm sorry, when he said, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And so the Lord took me back to my church. Now, give you a little history, I, I came back from Ramah in the early 80s. I started my church in Birmingham, Alabama in 1982. And we just took off building. I was like your pastor. I didn't think I was called a pastor. But we didn't have any patterns to follow. There, were, there, there weren't any what we would call word churches that you could relate to. They were either big or they didn't exist. And if they were big and you're starting out with nothing, it's kind of hard to, hard to connect. So, you know, I, I thought I was going to travel and, and uh, change the world that way. But uh, anyway, I got busy and after a few years I finally realized, you know, I guess I am called a pastor. Nobody else is showing up to take it, so <laughs> I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just stay with it. So one thing I did, I committed to the Lord to do my best. And I stuck really close to Brother Hagin, as your pastors did, followed him very closely. I spent thousands of dollars and traveled thousands of miles over the years just to be in his meetings. I'd go back to Tulsa and get in all those Bible seminars. I would I would follow him on the road. I would I had him into my church six times over the years. Three of those times were for two week meetings. And um, so so anyway, I I just followed close and I took what he was teaching and I just trusted the Holy Ghost to show me how to make it work in a church. Even though I know he's not pastoring a church yet, he was my pastor. And so I just applied it as best I could, and you know we made some mistakes, but who doesn't? That's no big deal. I, we got we got some things right, and as a result of it, we begin to grow, and we be, we 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 begin to flourish, and and uh, things begin to happen, because when you preach the word, signs are going to follow it, and I didn't have any better sense, but just to preach it like it said it, and 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 I got it, and we started getting testimony. And I mentioned this morning, I said, you know, I come into this place and it's like redemption's oozing out of the walls. That phrase was actually used about my church. That's where I got it. Some, uh, one of the Ramah singers uh, that, that moved to Birmingham to base out of my church said that about our, our church one time. He said, man, you come in here, it's like just, just redemption, healing, prosperity's oozing out of the walls. I, and I, I realized it. But when it's home, you, you really don't pay that much attention to it. It's just you kind of figure that's the way it is everywhere. And then you get out there and you travel around, you find out it ain't so. But that's the way it was. We just, we, we just had this, we, we built this atmosphere. And people would come in among us and get healed. And people would come in among us and get delivered. Not based on their faith. You know, sometimes people come in, they, they don't have time for the 10 steps to um, whatever. Whatever. But we saw over and over, and I know you've seen it here, we saw over and over people would just come into the service, green as a gourd, didn't know anything about the Word, you know, maybe just barely saved, just come in. And before you know it, their lives are just changed just from being among us because there is a corporate anointing. And really the corporate anointing is the greatest anointing of all. You know, Brother Hagin used to teach that. We have individual anointings. And some people are anointed for different things, but the corporate anointing—that's the greatest anointing of all. And 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 the Lord, the Lord wants to develop that. Now, Pastor, this morning mentioned how that, and this became real popular, I think, in the late '80s, about somebody having a, a minister having a word for the next year. Uh, I never really aspired to that. The Lord spoke to me last year about restoration, but. I listened. Brother Sumrall was one. He he would get a word like every year, what the Lord's saying about next year. Different ones put out newsletters. Still do. What the Lord says is coming next year. Well, during that time, somebody asked Brother Hagin, what's the Lord saying to you about next year? And he said, I got thinking about it. And thought, well, that's a good question. I'll go ask him. So he said, Lord, what do you want to do next year? And he said this, and I'm sure you, you heard him say this. He said, he said... I asked the Lord and the Lord told me, I want to do the same thing that I've always done. I want to raise up strong local churches that'll preach the word and flow with the spirit. Everybody's heard that. See, that phrase has really gone around the world multiple times. We've all borrowed from that. We've all made use of it one way or another. A church that'll preach the word and flow with the spirit. But now, when he said that the first time, And I don't remember what service it was in, but I was in the service when he shared that for the first time. The first time he said it, and I I, I can remember it as vividly as if it was this morning, what the Lord punched, you know what I mean by that, how he'll punch a certain word or kind of emphasize something. What he punched to me was the word strong. He said, I want to raise up strong local churches that will preach the word and flow with the spirit. And that's what I heard the Holy Ghost emphasize. Well, I I just held that in my heart for years, thinking, yeah, okay, strong. Praise the Lord. Now remember, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And so what happened was, just as we followed God and obeyed him, we, we developed a strong church. Our church became a strong church. It wasn't the biggest church, but it was strong. And that strength translated into a corporate atmosphere that people could come into and get extremely free of anything. I mean, I could stand up here and tell you stories all night long. I remember one time we had just moved into, and I think you you went to the building that we were in on the parkway, probably the one of Brother Hagen's meetings, you know. That used to be an Assembly of God church that they vacated when they built a big cathedral. Well, we bought it, a 1,000-seat auditorium, balcony, uh, probably 50,000 square feet of space, you know. Uh, Our parking was limited, but we we had a a nice facility, and and we fixed it up. But when we first moved in there, the Lord blessed us with that building, but there weren't that many of us. I was maybe 200 people. We moved into a 1,000-seat auditorium. Every, Every family had its own pew. You know, it was, it was, we rattled around like a BB in a shoebox. Just, you know. And, and, and uh, then the building had set unoccupied for some time. And it was in disrepair. The roof leaked. The uh, water had damaged some pews. Carpet was old and dated. It was thick, red, shag carpet. Everything was red. Because in those days, the Assemblies of God did everything red, for the blood of Jesus, there were red velvet drapes hanging up behind it. I mean, it it, it looked like something, something else, but but and and the pews were red like uh, velour or kind of a you know uh, soft whatever it is. So it's dated, it's musty, it's worn. As they were building the new building, they didn't put any money into the old one, and so we got the building. Now praise the Lord, we got it. We believe for it, we got it. Look what the Lord has done. But now then, we got to maintain it. And when I moved in, my utility payments, for instance, power bill, where we had been renting was $500 a month. Now then, we've moved into this new building for us, but it's not new because it was built. This was 19, late 80s. It was built, <clears throat> the last edition was built in the early 70s. So the thing's 20 years old. And and it's got the old air conditioners and stuff like that, you know, inefficient. And uh, my 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 electric bill went from five hundred a month to five thousand a month. But my 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 income didn't go up proportionately, so we're just operating real close, you know. And 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 God's blessing. Don't get me wrong, no complaints. But it just we just didn't have a lot of extra cash. So I want to fix this place up, and and uh, I'm praying about it, Lord. I, I we. We want to have the kind of place that will inspire people. We want to want to make people feel comfortable. And it's just dirty and musty. And And I knew that the first thing I had to do was fix the roof. And that's something nobody's going to see. Now, you know, if you can put out new chairs, everybody sees it. They'll get excited about that. But put a roof on the building, who's going to get excited about that? <laughs> so I'm praying about it. Lord, we need a roof. i got a price on it, $26,000 is what it's going to cost to put a roof on it. Now, that not much, doesn't sound like much, but at the time, it might as well have been $260,000 because I didn't have, I didn't have $2,600. We're just operating that close. So uh, I was praying one Saturday about it, praying about the next day, uh, about the service, and I happened to mention that, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and he said, I'm going to get you the money for the roof tomorrow. They just spoke to me in my spirit. I said, well, praise the Lord. That sounds good, but I said, Lord, I want you to know I'm not going to get up there and beg the people for it. I'm not going to manipulate them for it. If, you, if the anointing's not there to do it, I'm not going to do it. And the Lord said, I told you I'd get it for you, didn't I? I said, okay, okay. I'm just telling you. You better show up. <laughs> so the next day, I got up and just normal Sunday morning service, you know, me and a couple hundred people. And I preached. I don't know what I preached, but I purposely didn't preach on finances because I'm not going to manipulate this thing. And so I preached. uh, Whatever it was is bound to have been great, but I don't remember what it was. (laughs) So I preached this message. And I know I didn't minister on healing either because we didn't have a healing line at the end of the service. I didn't even have an altar call for, uh, you know, salvation because, you know, a couple hundred people, you know everybody. And uh, you're fishing out of a dry hole there trying to get somebody saved. There was this one guy. But for I, I, whatever reason, I didn't give an altar call. But there was this one guy I had noticed that was sitting. Well, we had a center section. Rather than the center aisle, we had a center section and then two other sections on the side. And he was sitting in that next section kind of toward the back. I'd never seen him before. Well, anyway, I got through. I was about to close the service and tell everybody, you know, goodbye. See you tonight. And the Holy Ghost prompted me, now receive the offering for that roof. And the anointing that was there, I, kn- I knew the Lord was prompting me. So I said, okay. I said, we've got one more thing to do. Before we go, and I went through the whole thing about we need to put a roof on this building. We want to put new pews, new carpet and all that. But first thing we've got to do is patch the hole in the roof. So we're going to receive an offering this morning. I've already got the bids on it. I know what it's going to take. I know what kind of roof we want. It's going to cost $26,000. I said, so if there's anyone here today who would like to give $26,000 toward the roof, we will receive it. And then we'll go home. And I looked at them like this, and they looked at me like you're looking at me now. <laughs> like, okay, what's the joke? We're waiting. Where's the punchline? So I stood there for what was just a few seconds but seemed like a long time. And I said, okay, well, if nobody's got 26000 you want to put into it, if two people want to give 13000 apiece, then we'll, we'll receive that. We'll have our money for the roof, and we'll go home. And again, just this silence. Nobody knew what to say. Never seen anything like this before. I've never done anything like this before. So I said, okay, well, if nobody's got 13000 then maybe somebody would like to give $10,000. A little girl, young lady worked in the nursery back there toward the back of the main floor. She said,
0: Pastor Webb, Pastor
1: Webb. Yes, ma'am. I said, uh, you know, sometimes people want to do things. They want to help, but they don't have the money to put into it. But maybe we could have like a work day and everybody chip in help. I said, you know, that's a great idea and there's going to be plenty of opportunity for that. But trust me, putting a roof on this building is not a job for a bunch of people that never done it before. Try to do it on the weekend. We need the pros on this one. (laughs) So then back over here, a guy raised his hand and he said, pastor. Yes, sir. He said, True Christian Ministries, he, he had had a church that had kind of dwindled down to just a few and then he went out and started traveling. He brought his people over to my church maybe a, a few months earlier. And there was a handful of them, wasn't a big crowd, but he said, True Christian Ministries will give $5,000. I said, praise the Lord, brother, thank you. Somebody over here, raise their hand. I'll give 5000 Somebody over here, I'll give 5000 Well, we got maybe three of those. I said, that's great. I said, anybody want to give 3000 Hands went up. I said I had a guy down here on the front with a, you know, old-fashioned calculator keeping track of it. I said two thousand had some two thousand gifts. I said a thousand had some thousand-dollar gifts pledges, uh, five hundred, and then after that I said anybody wants to give anything, just let us know. Well, you know, you got two hundred people. You can handle that in in a in a in and not doesn't take that long. So anyway, he's down there calculating, and I said, uh, well, where are we? He said, Pastor, it's $40,000. Now, I didn't. I was cool about it. I was, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. But on the, on the inside, I'm thinking, $40,000. OMG. <laughs> I didn't know there was $40,000 all put together, everybody's net worth in my church at that time. But $40,000 came in. So, again, I'm cool. I said, let's just praise the Lord. God is faithful. He, he always supplies." And, and I'm a, about to say goodbye. Well, that guy, you know, I told you that I'd never seen before, he got up and he started walking down the aisle toward the pulpit. And as he got up, I had observed him earlier in the service. He looked, he looked bad. He was thin. He was wasted away. He just, just didn't look healthy at all. Now, this was late, late 80s, 1988, 87, somewhere along in there. He got up and started walking down the aisle. And as he walked to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in my spirit. Just, you know, just to me. Nobody else heard it. But he said, he's a homosexual. He has AIDS. He's coming down here for healing. Lay your hands on him. I'm going to heal him. Now in 1987, AIDS wasn't, I mean, it was, it was known, but it wasn't widespread like it is now. It was kind of, that was, it was just kind of coming into, you know, the common vernacular. And I had read a little bit about it, but I didn't know too much about it. I just knew it was a disease of the immune system that primarily targeted, you know, homosexuals and and, uh, people that use needles and things like that. And so uh, he walked down there and he stood in front of me. I said, yes, sir, what can I do for you? He said, I want to be healed. Well, that's what the Lord said. He's coming to be healed. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I've got tuberculosis. Well, I knew from reading that tuberculosis was one of the diseases that was killing them. Because AIDS itself is not what kills you. That It shuts your immune system down, and then anything can kill you. And tuberculosis, TB, was one of the main diseases. So I said, okay. So I laid my hands on him, and I ministered to him. There was no feeling, nothing. We dismissed and went home. That night we came back. I didn't see him. Wednesday night, he's in service again. But this time, Pastor, he is glowing like, like there's a, a light been turned on. He's still underweight, but man, he is just smiling. And I said, Man, you look good. He said, Pastor Webb, when you laid your hands on me, I sprouted wings. He said, I hadn't been able to eat anything solid in weeks, I hadn't been able to sleep in weeks. I went home and I've been sleeping and eating ever since. I said, glory to God, that's wonderful. I talked to him a little bit about moving on with God and, you know, getting in the Word and so forth. And, but then I asked him, I said, I want to ask you a question. I didn't call for a healing line. I didn't give any kind of an invitation. You just got up spontaneously and came down that aisle. I said, why did you do that? Why did you come? We hadn't even talked about healing. He said, because when I saw that little crowd raise $40,000, I knew it had to be God. Laughter. And that offering, Pastor, inspired him. And he moved out and God healed him of AIDS. They still don't have a cure for it. Doctors still don't have a a slam dunk cure for it. They treat it, but they don't have a cure for it. God healed him, brother. And I'm telling you, we had things like that. We just had a steady diet of things like that. As far back as when we were small now, when we got up to, you know, a thousand people, we we saw stuff like this all the time. We, We saw people come in among us and just get free. Not because they, that guy didn't know anything about faith. He didn't hardly know anything about God. But because he was among us and there was this corporate strength and power, praise the Lord, he got healed. We saw things like that happen all the time. We had the dead raised in our ministry three times. Amen. The most notable, the the the, the testimony I like the most is one that happened with, with my wife. I was traveling by by then, and this would have been in the nineties. And I was off speaking somewhere. I might even have been at a, uh, you know, I think I was at a, a our, our church had taken a men a father son snowmobile trip out to uh, near Jackson Hole. I think that's where we were, and so we're out there. In the in the snow, playing with the fathers and sons of the church, and uh, we had this very strong prison ministry in in Alabama. It really strongly affected the entire prison system in Alabama. Really, there, there's some still some things that are the, the fruit of it. And and, and uh, the, but there was this lady. We had a team of ladies that would go in and they would uh, minister at the the girls' correctional facility. So. They were ministering, and, and this, this one lady, her name was Maxine. She was teaching these girls at the, you know, the home. And, and she, she stopped. She said, oh, oh, my head hurts. And she collapsed. And you know, they tried to revive her. They called the paramedics and anyway rushed her to the emergency room. So she, what had happened was an aneurysm in her brain had burst. And she fell and died. And they took her to the hospital and they worked on her, tried to revive her, tried to resuscitate her and, and, and bring her back and, and, and did everything they could, but they couldn't do anything. So one of our prayers who was there at the at the meeting called my wife and said, Maxine has collapsed and they've taken her to the hospital. So my wife called me and she said, Maxine fell over and collapsed. And, and uh, well, you know, wh- what do you want me to do? And I said, well, I, you know you know what I mean by this. Brother Hagin is talking about put up your spiritual antenna, listen to the Holy Ghost. So I did. I, and, and immediately the Holy Ghost began to talk to me. He reminded me of uh, Jairus and how that G- uh, Jesus said, the little damsel is not dead but sleepeth. He reminded me of, of, uh, of uh, uh, Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to go wake him. He reminded me of, of, of the times in the, in the scriptures that the Bible talks about death but it calls it sleep. And that's the way God looks at it. And Jesus woke Lazarus up and Jesus woke Jairus' daughter up. They were dead, but he woke them up. And the Holy Ghost said, tell her to go down there and tell Maxine to wake up in the name of Jesus. Well, now I'm, you know, a thousand miles away. It's easy for me to be in faith. No problem-o. I said, the Lord says. (laughs) And I gave her what the Lord told me. She said, okay. So she went down to the hospital. When she got there, the nurse met her in the hallway. She said, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My wife said, where is she? She says, she's back here. She said, uh, uh, well, can, we, can I see her? Oh, oh, of course, of course. So they took her back there. She wasn't on any kind of life support. She's laid out on the bed, got the sheet pulled up to here, not over her face, but up to here. They've got her laid out there called the family waiting on the family to come get the body the doctors have pronounced her dead she's gone no oxygen no no you know heart monitor no no machinery at all she's dead pronounced dead by the doctor my w- wife walked in there and standing there with Francis uh, our prayer and she she looked at her and she asked the nurse she said um, what needs to happen here and the nurse said what do you mean nothing needs to happen she said but, but I mean, what, what's wrong with her? What needs to happen? And the nurse looked at her and she said, Honey, she's dead. You understand that? She's gone. My wife said, Okay, can we be alone for a few minutes? She said, Oh, of course, of course. So the nurse left. Francis and my wife are there in the hospital room. Maxine's laying on the bed dead. Phyllis said, uh, Let's pray here a minute. So they prayed in the spirit. Then, uh, after they prayed in the spirit for a few minutes, Phyllis looked down at Maxine. She said, "Maxine, say Jesus." And Maxine's laying there, dead as a hammer, pronounced so by the doctor. It's done. You understand what I'm saying? It's over. Maxine laying there, and she said, "Jesus." Phyllis said, "Maxine, open your eyes and look at me." Maxine opened her eyes, looked at her. Phyllis said to Francis, "Go get the nurse." So the nurse, Francis went and got the nurse. The nurse came back in. She's mad because I guess her break was interrupted or something. She said, "Yes, yes, what is it?" My wife, her name's Phyllis. Phyllis said, she opened her eyes and said, "Jesus." <laughs> the nurse said, "No, she didn't. That's not possible." She said, "Well, she did." So she went over there, you know, and took her little pen light, opened her eyes up, and shined it in there and looked around. Said she's gone. Phyllis said, Max, ain't say Jesus." Maxine said, Jesus. <laughs> that nurse went, ah! and ran. Ran out of the room. Ran, got the doctor. The doctor came back in there. Maxine's awake, talking Jesus, <laughs> alive and well. There was no brain damage. There was no physical impairment. There was nothing. She was totally normal. The only thing only thing was her memory was gone from the time she died until she woke up. (laughs) She didn't remember collapsing. Last thing she remembered, she was preaching to the girls. Glory to God. Glory to God. My Lord. We we, We saw stuff like that. Now see, that happened in my church, but I can't even claim credit for it. All I did was, was manage it from a thousand miles away. <laughs> I, did, I did my job, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, and, and there's a whole nother truth right there, how, how safe it is to be under authority. I just said what the Lord told me. She just said what I told her, the Lord told me. And God did it did it see but what had happened our church gained this strength that was the result of prayer and I know this church is in a season and has been for some time in a season of prayer and 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 what's so important to understand is that this prayer is where the unity comes from that produces the strength strength is the result of unity Weakness is the result of division. Paul said, For the, you know, I've heard that there's division among you. And what was his answer? That you all say the same thing. And so he had to get them back on the same page and flowing together. Because he said, this is the reason that many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. See, I saw that happen. I've got testimony after testimony after testimony of healings. Pastor would say, because we would put, put out a, a, a monthly newsletter, a monthly magazine there for a while, and pastors would get it and they'd say, God, how do you have all these miracles? How do you have all these healings? And my answer to them was, well, aren't you having them? Because, see, I thought everybody was. I wasn't checking up on what everybody else was doing. I just figured, well, if we're all preaching the same word, <clears throat> I came to find out they weren't preaching the same word. I was preaching what you preach. See? That's the reason you've had stuff like this. But not everybody's preaching that. <coughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I had them question me. How do, how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know. I just, I just preach the Bible and God does it. It just, it just it happens. See? I had one pastor tell me, he said, Scott, man, your testimonies and, the, and your illustrations. He said, you've got the best illustrations. Anybody I ever heard? Your doctrine stinks, but your illustrations are great. Larry Miller, you know Larry. Told me that one time. He's a funny guy, not too bright, but funny. But anyway, <clears throat> he's a good friend. But but we had these these kind of things. But the reason that we had this strength was because of the prayer. See, I learned, and I I really just stumbled into a lot of these things. But I learned that prayer is laying the track for the train to run on. And you know, it doesn't matter how much horsepower the train has, if it hadn't got track to run on, it's not going anywhere. It's not designed to run in the mud. It's not designed to run on the asphalt. It's got to have that track. And my prayers, my wife at the head of the prayer ministry, she, she developed a prayer ministry. She, she became what I call the Navy SEALs of prayers. I mean, these guys, I used to call them ninjas, but they're better than ninjas. They, they, they are the navies. I mean, the, 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 the Green Berets, the operators of prayers. We learned how to turn prayer from a shotgun into a long-distance sniper rifle. We could hit things way out there and be very accurate with it. And we learned, we learned how to, we, we developed this prayer ministry over the years, and we learned how to be very specific and very concise There was a season, you know, back early on in church when, you you know, remember the the deal where uh, let's come every morning and pray an hour. You got to pray one hour. Well, I heard Brother Hagin say something one time. It just made sense to me. He said, don't see how long you can pray. See how short you can pray and get the job done. I said, I like that. I like that a lot. So that's what we did. We we, we got in there and, and instead of being time conscious. We were task conscious. Let's pray and, and and when we're done, we're done. And my wife developed this prayer ministry and at one time we had 26 different prayer groups going on in our church because we had a prayer group that prayed for just me. We had a prayer group that prayed for our children's church. We had a prayer group to pray for our music team. We had a prayer group to pray for our outreach ministry. We had a prayer group to pray for our youth pastor. We had a prayer group that prayed for very specific. We had a prayer group that just prayed for prayer requests. And we, we didn't try to get these prayer groups big. We kept them small because there is a unity, a oneness that is developed when people pray together. See, this is where unity comes from. It comes from two things. It comes from praying together, and it comes from worshiping together. And really, worship is a form of prayer. And as, 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 as our prayer, as the prayer went forth, this corporate strength developed and it made me look so good. It did. Because, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the way the press writes it up. You know, I'm talking about in the, in the body of Christ. Oh, Scott Webb's church. Yeah, man, Scott Webb's got a kicking church. See, it's all about Scott Webb's church. But, see, I knew. I didn't do anything. I just showed up. I mean, I studied and I prayed myself. But I just showed up. And the train ran because the tracks has been laid. They'd pray something out that week and I'd get up and do it on the weekend. And it produced a strength. And the unity among the prayers spread out into the church itself. And that unity, that that oneness, that determination to see the move of God. But then you know what happened? Over a process of time, we got involved in some other things. I got involved in a building project, you know, got to build a bigger building. Started doing some things. And and for whatever reason, I never intentionally did this, but for whatever reason, I guess we just got distracted. And some of that prayer kind of went by the wayside. Well, see, we, we treated prayer with great honor. The building, that, you know, I was telling you about earlier. We had a room that was designated just for prayer. Nothing happened in that but Praying. Even when the prayers got together, they didn't talk about recipes and they didn't talk about the, the, the movie they're going to go see or where they're going to go eat lunch afterwards. We prayed. That was it. You want to talk about stuff? Talk about it outside this room. This room is for prayer. And we kept those prayer meetings to 30 minutes because usually when one finished, there was another group waiting to get in there and pray. But it developed such a corporate strength in our church that we had those kind of manifestations just on a regular basis. But then when the prayer tapered off, things started happening. And at the time I didn't realize it. I didn't realize what the cause was. But like people would come in there and get healed without even knowing how, without even knowing anything about God, all of a sudden people that should have been healed are dying. One man I know, strong supporter of mine, great guy, got cancer. We prayed so many people through cancer. We'd seen so many cancers healed. I-, I couldn't begin to even count them. I'm talking about life and death situations just turned around. Man, we pulled every lever. We pushed every button. We twisted every knob. And he died. 69 years old. Now, that may not be young, but it's not old enough to die of cancer. Actually, no age is right it's old enough to die of cancer. If you want to die, die, but don't let cancer kill you. But what happened was, and, and so often people will look at somebody that goes through something like that, that, that loses a battle, and they'll, they'll think. Some people have been stupid enough to say it, but most of us have thought it. You know, if they'd have had more faith or if they'd have done something else right, that didn't have to happen. But you know, the Lord showed me, he said, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their fault. It was the church's fault any more than it was the guy that got healed of AIDS to his credit. It was to the church's credit because he came in among us and found a strength. But now then when people start dying, that strength has waned and many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. And so the Lord began to show me these things and show me how a lot of times it's laid at the individual's feet. They didn't have enough faith. They didn't do this right. They didn't do that right. He said, and it's not theirs. It doesn't. It's not at their feet that it should be laid. It's because the church has gotten distracted. See, I had to build a new building. I had to do all this stuff. And uh, I, now I'm not, who's the music leader around here? You or you? I'm not going to knock you song. But you know that song we were singing, God is a big God? I used to say that all the time. Oh, God's a big God. Woo, we serve a big God. I'd ask the rhetorical question, how big is God? And then I'd answer, he's bigger. But one day, my wife asked me, see, praying people hear from God. My wife asked me, she said, where in the Bible does it say that God is big? And I knew it was the Holy Ghost asking me that question. And how many of you know when the Holy Ghost asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He'll ask you the question and give you the answer at the same time. But I heard the Lord talk to me through her and immediately I saw where the Holy Ghost was going. She said, where does it say in the Bible God is big? And I, I, I couldn't think of a single time. And I'm a stickler for the word. Nowhere in the King James Bible does it say God is big. What it says is that he's great. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Paul prayed we'd be filled with the knowledge of the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Great is our Lord and greatly to be praised. Over and over and over it speaks of His greatness. Never does it speak of His bigness. And that's when the Lord said that to me about many of my people have compromised greatness for the sake of bigness. A great church is a strong church. It's not a big church. It's a strong church. Whatever size it is, that's a great church. And that can only be developed by prayer and unity. And so I say to you, you have developed a strength in this church. It is apparent to me as a visitor coming in, I hadn't been here in what, two, three years? I come in, it's here. The presence of God is here. There is a strength. Maintain that unity and guard against division. And people that will come in among you will be delivered and set free And you'll have manifestation after manifestation. And that's something that God wants. That's something. That is something, Pastor, that God wants restored in America. Donald Trump's got that, that phrase, make America great again. Well, let me tell you something. God wants his church to be great again. And when the church is great, it'll affect America. It'll affect this nation. Our job, we may not be able to change much in Washington, but we can guard what God has given us here. Protect the unity. Protect the strength here. Don't let politics, don't let any kind of division get in here and compromise that. And as long as, as, long as you're flowing together like that, this will be a place of safety where people can come in and be safe. You know, Jesus said, and I'll close with this, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know the scripture. Well, the church that Jesus builds is a place that the gates of hell won't prevail against. Now, there's a lot of programs out there that they say, you use these principles and anybody can build a church anywhere. But Jesus didn't say anybody's going to build a church. He said, I will build my church. And that's what the gates of hell won't prevail against. Now, that's going to be the place of safety in these last days is the church that Jesus builds. Strong local churches. Strong local churches. Glory to God. And as you as you just are a part of it, I mean, you st- we still have to live by faith, understand that? But just being a part of it will cause you to increase. It will cause your life to flourish it'll it'll fix things that you don't even have to think about cuz you'll be part of that rolling train and you know nothing stops a train <laughs> oh glory to god let's stand up and thank god for his goodness tonight hallelujah Did y'all get anything tonight you learn anything Did you Encouraged tonight, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for restoration. Thank you, Father, for freedom. Thank you, Father, for cleaning things up. Thank you, Father, for manifesting your glory and your power among us. Ha ha ha. Kaba. Sagrabata. For just a couple of minutes here. Let's just pray in the Holy Ghost. And sonjimata. Sangranite. Kojivata vada, labba soccolo, papabal, la manacateste. O le boste Bahasukuta, Vesgoloposta moci te bahasucuta, posta balagandi paite, e blenito Visto sapra, tapachi manide, e gistapa, e vrodo boco, baste, sombrana Kapala Mandakasta. Estolovi, estolovi, estolovi. Esto bolokoma chipatama natipete. Avranabaka stando kopo. Robisida dosialadaba. Magrebana motosketeke. Wios tava kache la kanasabra. Paramotosto. Kebrana pasta. Now, Father, raise up, raise up prayers, and Father. I speak blessing and increase over those that are prayers in this place. And the word of the Lord came to me and said, Pray for your pastor and guard him jealously. Protect him, for many are the darts and the arrows of the enemy. Attacks will come from many different directions because what we've talked about tonight becomes a threat to the kingdom of darkness. But know, saith the Lord, that as you pray and as you stand watch, as you are perceptive and as you are sensitive to the leading of my spirit, no enemy shall be able to gainsay, and no adversary shall be able to infiltrate. Hold your pastor and hold your church leaders up before me and pray for boldness on their part that they might move forward without compromise and great shall be the blessing. Oh, you've seen some great things, but the greatest things lie before you. So press in, press in and take your place. Stand your watch and seek my face and know that in these last days, great glory shall fill my house and great glory shall rest upon you. That's the word of the Lord that he should So Father, we praise you. We thank you tonight. And I just bless this whole church and congregation. As I stand in this office, I speak and and invoke your richest and best over every person in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for receiving me today. I had a ball. I hope you got something. Glory to God. Amen.
0: Hallelujah. (coughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Praise God. You know, I don't say much about this, but... Every pastor has to have people praying for him. Every minister. You see a lot of times uh, certain preachers and they they seem to to be so great and their ministry seems to have such a, a powerful outreach. And a lot of times we get our eyes on them but it's a result of people praying for them. That's what it is. God takes the most unlikely people and, and just uses them to bless the world. But he does that by joining people to them. And, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, a few years ago, over the years, I've had uh, uh, just uh, uh, two or three people that have made it a purpose and a, and a calling to pray for me. And I could always sense that. I could always sense that support. Uh and and I still have one or two here, even even among our, our church right now that I know that they've made it a, a a business to pray for me, and that means everything. But sometimes it's not that that person's those one or two people's prayers don't prevail. It's not that it's a it's a body thing. God requires more of the body than just one or two. And it's not that they're, that those people don't know how to pray or their prayers aren't effective. It's just that's not the plan of God for, for everything to flow through one or two persons or one or two people to get the job done. I remember back in the... Uh, when When did we go to dad's... Did, were you at the at the uh, birthday party for Dad Hagen in Charlotte that time we went to at the Jacksons' house? Yeah. Uh, what, what, this is at their house. Yeah. When was that, Angela? Early '90s, maybe. I, I saw Dad going through a uh, Dad Hagen going through a real battle. He had always seemed so bigger than life. And when I'd get close to him, he, he looked frail and he looked tired. He looked like he was given up, actually. It was like he, he had lost his, his desire. Now, in the pulpit, he was always the same. But when you saw him uh, just alone, he, just, he was tired. It was, it was as if he, he, he was struggling to even stay here come to find out, Ron Haverston had passed away. This was a man that had prayed for Dad Hagen so uh, uh, purposefully, and he had a team of people that were just used of God to pray for Dad Hagen. I mean, they just prayed for him just constantly. And you see, when when that prayer support left, he felt it. He felt it. And if the Lord had not restored that, restore. If God had not restored that, Dad would not have. Dad Hagen would have not been able to continue on. But God raised up somebody else. There were others that then came in and took their that 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 team's place because it wasn't just uh, Brother howerston it was a it was a group of people, and and God restored that. And I saw, I saw Dad Hagen as if it were get a fresh breath of life. You, you know what I'm talking about. It was like he he, he just got a fresh charge. And he went in another, uh, what, 15 years, you know, just in the power of that. And it was because of prayer. Amen. We need it. Your pastors need it. For the direction we're going, we, God has laid a... Uh, uh, a great foundation of this church in prayer and, and because of that prayer It's like Pastor Webb said we're, we're laying the tracks For what God wants to do But he's not finished Amen It's going gonna, it's gonna to require more prayer And more purposeful prayer And so I'm, I'm telling you I'm trusting God To raise up some people Some more people like Like one or two that I know we have That will really Pray for their pastor because I tell you what, the things that, that God has ahead for us, it's bigger than anything we've seen before. It's bigger than anything we've seen before. We, I'm telling you what, we're going to see miracles in this place like we've never seen before. Yes, we are. Yes, we that's the. I'm telling you what the plan of God is. There are some things that God has ordained. And he has planned and decreed. But I'm going to tell you, they don't just happen. They don't just happen because it's the will of God. They happen because people sense. You don't even have to know what he's doing, but just to, to follow the prompting of the Spirit. That's the wonderful thing about praying in tongues. You don't even have to know what you're praying for. If you'll just yield yourself to the Spirit, God will take you and use you to bring his plan to, to pass. Amen. There's restoration of lots of things coming, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Did you were you blessed tonight and this morning? Amen.